Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Welcome to the NASCAR News Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today in a conference room at the former Brad Kozlowski Racing Truck Shop. Is it still Brad Kozlowski Racing Brad? Uh, yeah, I guess for the time being it is. Okay, yeah. so that would yeah. still be the, yeah, the still proper applicable. name. I mean, it, this podcast might you know be listened by someone you know in, in the future, like six months, maybe a year, and then they'll be like, oh, that doesn't exist anymore. But, <laughs> but for now. On this day, at this time, yes, it is. Brad Kozlowski Racing on Google Maps. I, oh, that's I good. Put that in to come you up Google here. mapped us. Yeah, I like that. Statesville is a little uncooperative, by the way. With uh, it's not a Google, Google map friendly area. Have yeah. you found that? Okay, I'm not. I'm not surprised. <laughs> As you can tell, we're joined by Brad Kozlowski, who has returned graciously to this podcast for the second time. You were on two years ago. You were terrific. I really appreciate you coming back. Thank you. So I got to ask, like, do you have a lot of second? Am I the first second timer? Am I like where am I at in the second timers? Uh, I think in terms of drivers. You're probably like the second or third. I haven't done the list. Um, okay. The leading guest is Steve Wittart. Oh, well, that doesn't count. Yeah, he's got he's, like he's a half already, dozen appearances. I don't feel like he's even a guest. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because he's, he's, he's on, on the payroll. NBC. Yeah, yeah that, that, <laughs> he shouldn't count as a guest. Okay. Yeah. I, but, I mean, I feel like he's probably a guest just because you don't want to pay him extra. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I always have this conversation as it pertains to like Sirius XM, you know, because they always ask you to be a guest. I'm like, well, that's just really a fancy way of saying we want you to do our show, but we don't want to pay you, especially when you don't have anything newsworthy going on. Like right. if you're like, hey, man, I just signed a new contract and you guys want to talk about it. OK, that's newsworthy. But then it's like, hey, it's a Tuesday at 930 a.m. You want to go on Sirius XM? I'm like. No, not really. No, I don't. I am <laughs> not newsworthy, so this means that I'm now part of the business model. This is kind of like being brought into the media center after finishing fourth. Yes, I'm not right? newsworthy. <laughs> yes, it's the same exact thing. I like. I don't mind doing media, but I only yes. want to do media when I've done media or I've done something newsworthy. Hey, I shared your concerns, by the way, about that after yes. Fontana. That I was, feel like that I have to earn right. something. Yeah, I, I wrote about that. It I should be earned. That was right. Yeah. yeah, I can understand the awkwardness there. Fourth does not feel earned to me. So speaking of earning things, on the shop floor here at Brad Kozlowski Racing, mm-hmm. you've got a pretty cool display of cars right there that we just we did a mini tour and just took a look at just to describe it for people. You've yep. got your... Uh, a, a late model that you won with in Michigan. You've got your first Xfinity win and the 88 Navy car. You've mm-hmm. got the the James Finch Phoenix Racing number nine car, the first yeah. cup win at Talladega. Then yeah. you've got your Xfinity Championship, Cup Championship, a few truck winners. That's a pretty cool lineup there, Brian. It's a unique collection. I think what's really interesting to me is that I've won in three different manufacturers, which is pretty cool at the cup level. Um, you know, Clint won this past week in Martinsville and. And he pulled off the, I, I guess he's a trifecta now. So he's he's with me on a trifecta because he's won for Toyota, 
Ford and Chevy. I've won for Ford, Chevy, Dodge. That's so right. Yeah. We're, we're, we're a trifecta club where Casey Kane, he's got the, uh, what, what is it when you're in a four club? What, what would that be called? A quadruplet? Quadruplet, I suppose, yeah. yeah. He's, he's by himself. That's, that's it's an yeah. interesting little stat to have. And it's kind of a hard stat to achieve when there's only it's really hard three manufacturers to left at yes, this point until somebody really comes back. Achieve. You can't really get there. So yeah. I, I, could, I technically could still get there if um, I ever raced at, you know, with Toyota. Uh, yeah. But I think my family in Michigan would probably kill me if I did that. So... <laughs> Probably not unlikely. advisable. Yeah, yeah so better yeah. to have Charger and Chevrolet and yeah, yep, the, yep, the three domestic, yeah, Detroit brands. So tell me a little about what's going on here now. Like we did the brief tour, and I see that you've got people working on stuff. What's happening at what is right now known as Brad Keselowski Racing? Yeah, uh, I'm converting to a different business model. I'm no longer racing the trucks, which you know is kind of sad because I enjoyed being a part of that. Uh, I enjoyed what it meant to my family's legacy, but. Um, you know, I think I'll have an opportunity to come back to that in the future if the business model's right. And, uh, you know, I'm looking to create a business model outside of motorsports that can be sustainable because I'm not going to be a race car driver forever. And I feel like I can build something off the brand that I have as a race car driver that is successful but isn't racing. And I think that's really important uh, to my family's health and, and to my ability personally to be a, you know, a, a supportive member of the community once I'm done being a race car driver. So you're looking at it somewhat as the Roger Penske, Rick Hendrick type model. You want to have a financially independent base, and then if that allows you to go back to racing, that's something you would do. Yeah, I think if you're going to be successful in motorsports long-term, you have to have an outside revenue base from motorsports, which is a bit of a head-scratcher when yeah, you say right. that out it's loud. chicken and egg, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah but it, it's, a, it's also a reality. So how many people are here right now? I went from uh, about 50 people to right around 13, 14 people. The last time I talked to you for this podcast, and I was listening to it on the drive up here, this was almost two years ago. This was June of 16. So research. You're doing I'm always trying to do research for these good. things, man. I'm good. trying to be prepared. Gosh, that so, was two years ago. I still remember it. I remember where we sat. I remember. Yeah. The, yeah. We were in your, your house. Yeah. In uh, my, in my rec room. Stairs in your rec room on yeah. like, this big overstuffed like couch. Yes. Enormous yeah. couch. I love that room. This conference table is a little bit more conducive to microphones. So. Yeah, no, it's, it's but, good. But I like that. But I was comfortable well. on that couch. You were. You were very comfortable on that couch. So the last time we did this and, and talked on your couch, you were talking about this place and that you had gone... I'd forgotten this. Like you had just invested a ton of money. Like you had done like 85% of a planned expansion. What's it like two years later to think back about where you were then, right when you yeah. just poured all this money and thinking this is going to be a, a seed for a truck team that'll be around for I a mean, while. it's still a seed. It's a different kind of seed. Now it's, it's like, it, you, like I'm growing a different flower, but I'm still growing a flower. So I'm, I'm not ashamed of the garden <laughs> and the work <laughs> I put in it. You know, I, I think this, you know, flower will hopefully come from a vegetable that will grow up and be able to be replanted into many more vegetables. Um, and so uh, I'm still very proud of it and still glad to, to have it. When I was listening to this, you expressed concerns then about the business model. And you, mm -hmm. you said then that, like, it could only really be sustainable. It couldn't be something that was ever going to be a profit, a revenue yeah. driver, right? Yeah. I mean, is that pretty much what you're yeah, with it? Yeah, it's, it's, you know, that entity... Uh, a truck series team is not a money maker and never will be. You, you really just hope to break even. And uh, some years you do, some years you don't. Is it a relief in some ways? It hasn't been for me. No, no. I, had, I had this great team here, Jeremy Thompson, who ran it. And they did a tremendous job of kind of reducing the stress and the worries that I would have with it. And so with respect to that, I, 
honestly, I, I, I didn't feel a tremendous amount of pressure. There was some pressure, right, with sponsors and finances, but it was nothing that I wasn't strong enough to, to handle. But it was, So it is sad in a way to just, yeah. I was in your holler in Atlanta and we were watching truck practice and I think you had just sold your last truck here yeah. right before the season started. You saw one of them on the track yeah. and it was still pretty much painted virtually the same way it was. At yes. PCR. Yeah. There was a couple of them. I think, um, Jesse Little had one and he ran really well at Atlanta in the race, which yeah. was, it was neat to see. It was very neat to see. But bittersweet in a way that. Yeah. It's, it's both. Gone. Right. You know, and I watched the Thorosport guys, uh, in the truck series, they're running really well and, and in a Ford and it's good to see that you know, the, uh, the torch is still moving. What do you think about what Kyle's trying to do? Because I remember when they announced, when NASCAR announced limits last year on cup guys driving in trucks and Xfinity, Kyle said, this might make me have to think about not being a trucker earner anymore. And that yeah. was actually the night that Logan Lucky premiered. And we talked to you about it that night. And, okay. And yeah. you kind of expressed similar concerns. I mean, he's still trying to, to tough it out. Is there, I know that you guys have I, had your differences, I, you know, but that you must have We definitely have, have a lot of differences, but there's also some things that I have a lot of respect for him with. He's got a lot of work ethic. I think you can't take that away from Kyle. His work ethic is very impressive. And beyond that, uh, he, he's made some you know, pretty strong business moves, in my opinion. Um, his ability to jump from Hendrick to Gibbs, most people would have said when he was leaving Hendrick that he'd be lucky to move laterally. I honestly think he moved vertically because what mm. Toyota brought him outside of his cup ride was so much better than what he would have had if he would have stayed at Hendrick and with Chevrolet um, that I, I think he, he deserves you know some credit for making that making what would have been a bad situation for 99% of the people out there into a, a, a good situation because quite frankly with what Toyota's done to the sport is just really unparalleled uh, with respect to the investments they've made and you know they, they pretty much single-handedly put Kyle in business and have sustained him in business over there. Um, so I, I think that's that's impressive. You know, the, the day's going to come, and, and who knows when it's going to be, when they decide they don't want to do that anymore. And I think that's when it'll be truly tough for someone like Kyle to stick to being an owner in that series. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's something that probably no one could have anticipated 11 years ago when he was making that move and all the focus was on, oh, Dale Warner Jr.'s filling his slot at Hendrick, and I don't think any of us could have imagined where it would land at this point for him uh, all these years later. And you're right about Toyota's investment certainly being a, a bulwark of, of why he can be successful. The manufacturer side of that, though, is interesting. I, there's been talk, I believe it was Bob Jenkins, the owner of Front Row, who said that uh, maybe NASCAR should consider some sort of manufacturer spending cap. Mm. in NASCAR. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think Toyota was the primary example <laughs> of why. Yeah. Any thoughts on that? I definitely would not support that. Really? No, I, I think manufacturer health is critical to the sport. Manufacturer engagement is critical to the sport. And the manufacturers need to be able to uh, make large, significant investments that can showcase their technology, showcase their culture, I, I definitely feel like the manufacturers should have free will to, to spend as they wish. I think spending limits in general are almost always ineffective and unhealthy for sports because most of the time it just ends in corruption. So I, I couldn't see a way of this not ending that way or, or maybe ending is not the right word, but evolving to it. So spending limits, I think, are generally not successful in sports, but that's that's my two cents and maybe i'm completely wrong maybe somebody's got an idea to make it work too but 
I think spending limits in general are, are unhealthy. I think that we should be working to grow the pie and there's a lot of fighting for who gets the biggest slice of the pie. That's a bad idea. We should be working to grow the pie. I think we should be looking right now at Formula E with bewilderment. Really? Where they're going and what they're doing is incredible. And uh, I think they deserve a lot of respect for that. They've engaged all the OEMs or the majority of the OEMs in a big, big way and have been able to leverage and find their hot buttons. Uh, and with respect to that, they're, they're growing incrementally and pretty significantly as a sport from scratch. And I don't think their product is uh, as compelling as a lot of the other racing products out there. But their ability to engage OEMs is at, at a very high level and perhaps the best of any motorsport right now. So with respect to that, I think there's opportunities to grow the pie uh, with OEMs and manufacturers that we just uh, haven't had the vision to achieve, and hopefully we can we can do that. Formula E is doing that because they realize that manufacturers, OEMs, are looking at electric vehicles as the future, obviously, yep. so they're giving them what they want, yes. essentially. Yeah, they found the hot button but it's, for OEMs. But it's not necessarily compelling because there's no noise. Yeah, there's, <laughs> there's ways around yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I think electrification in race vehicles is not exciting as a race fan. Yeah. Uh, there's There's no way around that. It's very exciting as an OEM. I think there's ways to work around that. There's a lot of ideas of ways to work around that. Michael Waltrip actually has one of the best ideas I've heard yet, uh, where he talks about how the cars need to be loud. They need to be throaty and that great American right. V8 that... Uh, you got to hear 800 you know, plus horsepower. Yeah, that generation's you love. Feel it. But, you know, I, I think with respect to that, they don't always need to be loud. Huh. And so Michael Waltrip has this idea that I love that the race cars should run and be super, super loud like they are now, like 110, 120 decibels loud, but not for an entire race. Should be like, all right, the first five laps on a restart should be V8, like blow your eardrums out. Then after five laps and everybody single files out, like, all right, now they switch to electric yeah. until a yellow comes out. And then the wall of noise comes down. You can actually talk to the person next to you. You still saw your action. You still got your... Wow, that was awesome. Did you hear the, all the noise from the restart? The cars would still have their performance because of the way they would accelerate um, and the way the, the timing of such of having the V8 engine to recharge the energy for the electrification. Uh, and, and with the current power requirements that NASCAR is looking at, I think you could easily achieve that. So I think there's some solutions out there that can make all sides happy. But, you know, like anything else, the first thing is you have to work on it. You have to look for them. And <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's out there right now. And just to clarify, like, there are no imminent engine changes, I guess, no. in NASCAR's future no. in the next, what, three, four, five years? I would years, love to see a, a new cup engine that comes directly from the OEMs that can engage basically what we're talking about as a hybrid. But it's a hybrid that our fans could love. It's the V8 hybrid. If, if we could achieve that, we could... I think, and this is my personal opinion, we could find a spot to make our fans happy with the sound and, and all the things that they know and love, the energy, and also find a way to engage the OEMs uh, and, and their vast resources that would make our sport healthier than it is today. I should probably be careful about praising a rival network's signature element here, but essentially Michael Waltrip, the Fox guy, wants to do like crank it up 
in real life <laughs> for people at the race track, yes. right? That's, yes, that's kind that's of the, the same thing, right? Yeah. If you watch a race on TV, you're not getting full value, right? Yeah. You're getting like the race cars at like 40% value right. and the announcers at 100% value right. so that you can hear them because otherwise you would never hear an announcer at a racetrack. I've been to a few races where they have the loudspeaker going during the middle. You have no idea. Yeah. Right. No yeah. idea. Got a few racing questions for you. Okay. Um, not a lot, but a few. So we're, we're talking right after Martinsville. You had this strange, bizarre thing happen at Martinsville where you, you ran in Eric Jones Mm-hmm. Under caution, yep, and yep. It was you were just getting a drink of water and got distracted. Well, from what I, from what we can piece together, and I'm not saying I have it all 100 percent pieced together, but something fell off of a car, a couple oh. in front of okay. the pack, and we were only going like 25 miles an hour. And when it happened, it was like a everybody checked up. I was trying to get a drink of water. I was like reaching down for like I looked down for a second, and boom, they were all stopping, and I so I ran in the back of them. If I was going 20, Nate, by the time I hit him, I'd be shocked. Yeah. But uh, it uh, poked a hole in the nose, and it broke the bumper bar, and the splitter broke. So, yeah. Yeah. You lamented this on Twitter, Brad. You said that, uh, you know, that, that ruined your entire day. And I've, yeah. I've been covering races at Martinsville since 1999, and I can remember the first several years I covered races there. I don't remember that. I mean, you could – I've seen cars finish – in the top five there win races with with half the body hanging yeah, off yeah so is yeah. this is this something is it splitter related yeah the splitters on yeah. the cars you just if you do anything to damage them the, the performance of the race car just dramatically decreases hmm. um they're just super super sensitive so you can tear up the bumpers you can tear up a lot of things on the cars you cannot damage the splitter it's just it's like a wing it's just a wing you can't see so nascar needs to get rid of that thing uh, <laughs> long term I mean I know it's been yeah, talked about I mean, right? I, I, I still to this day have no idea why when the COT car was built we put a splitter on I feel, I, like, I feel like I have an answer or I might have an answer I know a few people's answers <laughs> but they don't make any sense so I, they, don't, they don't count to me like the, the answers I've heard is well the trucks had the splitter that's exactly it that's and, what I can, uh, I can remember distinctly being at a test at Atlanta in like 2005-06 and Gary Nelson telling us that, yeah. that we, we wanted the racing to be like the trucks so we put a splitter on a car yeah. the, the whole idea that we could build the COT car to be like the trucks and the racing would be like the trucks it actually kind of makes sense mm-hmm. like you know logically you can convince yourself of that like if we make the cup series like the truck series, the truck series has good racing. The cup series will have even better racing, but it, that, that's not how it works. Logically, this would be very difficult and long-winded to explain, but there's several dynamics that account for the truck series action being so much different than the cup series action that have nothing to do with the vehicle spec. Most of them have to do with the experience level and, and, and the people. Great racing is most often made by mistakes. Mistakes on pit road, mistakes behind the wheel. That's usually what makes great racing. What doesn't make for great racing is when somebody is perfect. Mm-hmm. When someone, like, you see a team, like, all right, they put together the fastest race car, their driver ran the best laps, they made no mistakes on pit road, right. they led 95, maybe 100% of the race and won it. That's terrible racing. <laughs> that's that's what's that's called mistake-free racing. Right. As a, a competitor, I live for that. I want to be a mistake-free racer and a mistake-free team. 
Those are the days as a team that you're like, yeah. Those are also the days as a fan where you're like, Those oh my God, days. that was the worst race I've ever seen in my life. NASCAR is broken. How do we fix it? Where I'm like, wait a minute, how am I going to make some credit? Like, it's my job to make the show suck. Right. That's my job. That's not, not just my job as a driver, but that's my pit crew's job. That's my engineer's job. That's an entire team's effort is dedicated to making the race suck for a fan. Right. That's our goal. Right. Because right? if, if it sucks for a fan, that means we were perfect. Right. Um, so with that in mind, basically what I'm trying to say is great racing is usually made by mistakes. And when you get to the truck series level, being that's the third tier, it's going to have more mistakes. It's, you know, like anything else. When you go to the third tier, it's like you look at a football team and if they have to put their third string quarterback in, he's probably going to make more mistakes than the first string. Right. So that creates a dynamic to the racing in the truck series that makes it fun to watch. Yeah. It's fun to watch a race car driver go down in the corner, miss the corner completely, get passed by three other guys, even though he's way faster than them, and he tries to pass them back. That's great racing. Um, it's fun to watch. It's also why ARCA racing to me is a lot of fun to watch. Like if I sit down and watch an ARCA race, edging my seat, biting my nails, like, yeah. whoa, did you just see that? They should have wrecked and they didn't. And, and there's just all kinds of like, wow, it's right. an ARCA race is an incredible show. The problem is people don't watch it because they know they're not watching the best. So this balancing act of wanting to watch the best, but not wanting them to be perfect because that makes the racing action not compelling is a, a tough balance to walk. So when you look at the vehicle spec of the truck series and you try to draw a conclusion that their racing is the way it is because of that spec, you're willingly omitting the fact that a large part of it has to do with the fact that they are third stringers. Yeah. You're chasing and something that isn't there. Yeah. Yeah. So we did that with the splitter and the COT car. It's been a, in my opinion, a, a, a failure. We've gone back on a lot of the failures that were the COT car, the Gen 5 car, or whatever mm -hmm. it was called. Uh, we went back on a lot of those failures with the Gen 6 car, and I think NASCAR deserves credit for that. It's why we didn't do the splitter as well is beyond me. I think there are alternatives out there that would more than suffice in replacing the splitter and achieving the results we wish to achieve with the cars performance-wise. I haven't seen them be looked at. So it's one of those kind of head scratchers of why we haven't gotten rid of it. I think it has been pretty detrimental to racing in general. It, it deserves an actions detrimental to racing fine. <laughs> if you could find an inanimate object yes. for actions detrimental to racing, a splitter would get like a $100,000 fine. <laughs> I would say one out of every four weeks. They'd start like 500 points in the hole if yes, they were going to run a season absolutely. or something. Yeah. yeah. And to be fair, like the Gen 6 and its predecessor car tomorrow did have a lot of safety elements, safety features. I mean, certainly yeah. the, the, the safety record's impeccable. It's Absolutely. just the competition NASCAR, record. You, you can't give, I mean, you got to give NASCAR credit for the safety record on the COT car. They made some major upgrades. They moved the car into a new era, which was part of the goal. Unfortunately, from a competitive aspect, they moved it behind pretty dramatically. And they, and there's been efforts to catch it back up, which I think deserve a lot of credit. Just they haven't been fully realized. And the splitter is probably the biggest piece of that. So a Monday race at Martinsville, Monday doubleheader at Martinsville, I should say, where everybody looks at the truck race uh, a couple of days ago and says, man, that was action-packed. And then they look at the cup race and they say, this wasn't as much <laughs> action as we're accustomed to seeing at this yeah. place. It sounds as if a lot of it is 
maybe source to the fact that the talent level in trucks is so much lower. And then when you go to cup, like you said, it's best of the best. And now yeah. everybody's getting their data shared. The engineers are all, you know, do, doing their thing. Sure. And the, and the cars are more common than ever before. So, well, that and the, the cars are fragile. You don't want to damage your car. One spot is not worth damaging your car because even if it works and you get that one spot, you do damage your car and you're going to fall back five, ten spots. The cars are, are too fragile. This has been a good start to the season for you. You made the championship round last year, but you you yeah. haven't won yet this year. But I would say you're as good yeah, as you were, were in the playoffs. We've been about last a B year. by now. Yeah, okay, we're about a B. Is Brad Keselowski still in the doldrums of his career? Doldrums? Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, I, I do recall this. I should probably uh, some context when this is after yeah, your please do after your win at Kentucky a couple of years ago. We do these sit down interviews uh, during the NBC portion of the schedule with the drivers, which I know you guys love sticking around for. <laughs> 45 minutes after every race yeah. and answering the same questions over and over again in, in really dark, cramped rooms yes. at various racetracks around With the country. With very bright lights in your face. <laughs> well, don't forget while you're also like soaked. Yeah, that's right. Like so you have that like stickiness. You ever been like so sweaty and sticky? Oh man. It's, it's like if you went on a really long bike ride and then you went inside and sat in the air conditioning for like three hours. I feel for you guys. Yeah. Especially oh, at the miserable. ones, the races, Kentucky would be one where you were soaked. I remember Stenhouse at Daytona, July race last year. I was afraid the guy was going to get pneumonia because he was like yes. shivering as we were yes. starting the interview. So before the interview, or maybe it was after the interview at Kentucky, you mentioned that you felt like I'm kind of in the doldrums of my career here because... Um, in my mid-30s, I'm not quite the younger guard. I'm, I'm definitely yeah. not the older, established veteran guy, but I'm a champion. And it was just, it was interesting to me. It, well, yeah. It was it was just sort of like you're you're kind of a tweener in yeah, a way, I guess, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Well, I mean, as people, we love labels. We love young guns. We right. love old vets. And as, especially considering our day and age that we're in now, it's just amazing to me that we continue to push labels, Right. Labels, labels, labels. It's just easier for us in our mind. If I can put each person in a box, how much easier is my life? Like we can make more sense mm -hmm. of the world. I understand why people want to do that. I understand why people want to take me and try to put me in a box. I've never been a guy that fits in any boxes. <laughs> um, there's no real polite way to say that. And specific to my age, shockingly, I'm in the same spot again. Um, I'm in the middle. There's... A handful of drivers that are much, much older than me. You turned 34 in February, right? Yep, okay. February. And, and you know, people have tried to tell me that I'm part of the old guard. And then the other day, a, a friend of mine actually told me that. He said, you're one of the old guys now. And I said, am I? He said, yeah. What, what makes me one of the old guys? Well, you've been around for a long time. All right. Like, how long have I been around for? Like, well, what are you on, like, your eighth season? Like, yeah, eighth or ninth. Yeah, it's my ninth full season this year. And we got in this conversation, and I said, well, what makes somebody established? And then, then we got into, well, how many years you've been in it, right? Mm -hmm. And nine seems like established. Like in any other sport, if you were a nine-year NFL vet, yeah, you've been around. If you're a nine-year NHL vet, yeah, you've been around. But in NASCAR, uh, I, I think it's a lot higher than that. So I looked it up, and I'm 15th on the starts chart. Like if you if you rank— No kidding. All the drivers right now, there's what, 30 full-time drivers, roughly? Yeah, about that. About yeah, 30. Mid-30s. Mid it might be 33. Yeah. I'm 15th on most starts. Huh. So that's like, again, a tween, right in the middle. <laughs> right in the middle. Yeah. Right in the middle. Like, <laughs> so I, I refuse to conform to your boundaries <laughs> of old or young. I, I'm just right there in the middle. And uh, it's an inter interesting place to be in because, you know, when you first get started in the sport, there's a lot of energy and excitement with respect to the people you're around, like, yeah, we're going to come in, we're going to start this new team, we're going to light the world on fire, you know, just 
normal exuberance of youth. And then the later years of your career, not having been there, but have having witnessed other drivers in it, that almost comes back, like, with respect of, and I want to go out on a high note, and if you're a, a crew guy or an engineer, you want to work with that guy, he's seasoned, he's experienced, he's really hungry to go out on a high note, I want to work with him one time in my career. But I feel like when you're in the middle of your career, it's you're kind of like, you look left, you look right, you're like, I don't really fit in any of these piles. Like <laughs> one of these things is not like the other and it's me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. And um, so yeah, it's that the doldrums word comes into play. And part of your appeal, like you said, you don't really fit in anything. And that's part of why people probably cheer for you. Right. Is that they like you're, hope, the, you're the right? iconoclast of the cup. Yeah, series, right? I, I would hope I, I, I kind of like being my own person. I always felt that way. It's hard to beat people when you do all the same things they do. Well, and I've heard you say that before. Yeah, I remember just, when you first came into Cup, you were making the veterans, Jeff Gordon, Tony Stewart, Denny Hamlin, mm-hmm. Kyle Busch, mm-hmm. all got agitated by the yeah. way you raced them. And you were like, that's good, because oh. I don't want to race like those guys. Yeah, no, I, right? Honestly, I would have no chance if I raced the way they did, because they started off. This is like the, because it's Easter, I can use, you know, like the hop race. You get in the bag and you hop. Mm-hmm. Like they started off like 30 seconds before me. And if I hop in the, the same way, I'll never catch them. All right. I right. got to, I got to find new ways and better ways to do things. The younger guard that we're making so much of it to do about, do you see those guys doing it or trying to do it differently? Do you see that happening now? Is it happening enough for this younger set? Like the Ryan Blaney um, who's your teammate. Do you see that? I see a few guys, you know, I, I think if you, if you told me to, to pick two or three young drivers and say, who's going to be the ones winning a lot of races in the next decade, I would probably only pick two or three of them. I, I think, William Byron certainly one of them. I think Ryan Blaney is just on the cusp of really making it or not making it. You know, he's having a great season so far. So I think that's great. Beyond that, I, I have a hard time seeing any of the, the young group turning into perennial race winners. You would advise them doing it the way you did it when you came in. Is if you're making guys angry, if well, you're if you're I, planning I, a stake, that's the It's not my place go, right? to advise those guys they need to figure out their own path you know and and that's not just as a race car driver heck i'm a dad too and it's the same thing with my daughter you know she needs to find her own path right yeah even at two i you know i'll let her walk around and screw things up and do things (laughs) she needs to find her own path she needs to make her own mistakes and figure it out i've never been the one to tell people how to do it you noted like some other veterans have noted that nascar has helped this younger wave out quite a bit in terms mm-hmm. of marketing and, and mm-hmm. branding. What's your view on that? Like, is it undeserved or is it sort of uh, like understandable? It's just that different. That? There's no way of saying that without being just in some ways jealous. Yeah, it's an awkward it, spot it is. for you. Yeah. And, and you know what? We are. Yeah. <laughs> we are. You know, I, yeah. I watched this sport 10 years ago when I first walked in and there was a small push behind me when I was in the, what's now Xfinity Series, but Nationwide Series. Like I, I felt it and it felt good. It really did. Like I remember Nationwide did a commercial, and I was in a commercial. I was like, man, I'm on a commercial. <laughs> this is so cool. And NASCAR and, and Nationwide did it together, and it would air every once in a while. And, you know, it, that is so cool. And then I got the cup, and it was like, boy, you ain't done <laughs> Until you do don't talk to us. That that's, that's what it was like. And I'll never forget, speaking of commercials, the standard answer was, at, at that time, Go win a championship and get back to us. When I did mm-hmm. win a championship, it was like, all right, we'll do a commercial with your car in it. You know what I mean? Like, that's what the commercial was. Like, yeah. like you can stand in front of the car and make a pose, but you're not going to say anything. Yeah. Like, yeah. that was the commercial. And you're like, all right, that's something like. And then now it's, 
like you look out in the landscape and you know you see the commercials and that and it's like drivers that have been doing this for two or three years and either don't have any wins or have like one win yeah and they got like five commercials and you're like son of a <laughs> like so, i won yeah. a championship and this yeah didn't happen no, no for me. so there's yeah. no way of, yeah let's be honest whether it's me or it's kyle whether it's anybody yeah we're jealous yeah we are we're jealous but it kind of goes just back to being like you said like you're a tweener and kyle yeah. to some extent is too and you guys yeah. just kind of came of age yeah, like no. the wrong the timing was just off it's okay to admit we're jealous yeah it's okay i mean it's <laughs> it's it's a natural human instinct i think if the sport had done what it's doing for these young drivers now when guys like kyle and i were just coming in if they had done that for us the sport would be in a better place and with respect to that I don't want to come off as not being supportive of NASCAR promoting those young drivers because I do think it's good. I agree with it. I completely understand the efforts. I think they just missed really big about 10 years ago. In some ways, in some respects, you know, we're probably paying for that now. It, it kind of is what it is. You know, sitting here and complaining about it isn't going to change it. You can't go back in time. But I think it's also not unhealthy to recognize it. I'll just leave this with one more story. I had a producer approach me and planning for our half of the season, I think, of let's do features on all the young guys, and they have everybody on the board. And one of the people on the board was Austin Dillon. And the person who wasn't on the board was Joey Logano. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, you guys realize that Joey Logano is younger than yeah. Austin Dillon. Nobody remembers Nobody. that. No, nope. <laughs> you know, nope, they don't. Because you just said it's like this categorization. Like, Joey Logano is not part of this, even though he's, what, 28 this year? Yeah, 28. So yeah. Austin Dillon. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's like. Same age. It's we, we get so, like, just tunnel vision into, like, putting guys in boxes. It, it's so interesting to, to see that. I think of Joey and the fact that he started full-time in Cup, it was at. 18, 19. He was 18 when he started the Daytona 500. I can't even fathom what it's going to be like for him when he's 39 and sets the starts record. I mean, at 39, that's just crazy to me. But that's the path he's on, right? Which is pretty incredible. Now, I like to joke with people because Joey's six years younger than me. And he started racing eight years before me. (laughs) Like, how does that work? Yeah. He was five. I started... Right before my 14th birthday. And that's funny, too, because you grew up in the racing family. Yeah. Where he didn't really. I I just didn't have any. (laughs) My dad, and people ask me about this all the time, my dad and my family put everything they had into racing for themselves. If they made any money racing, it went into their next race car. It went into their next tractor trailer. There was no, like, hey, Brad wants to race. Let's give him some money to go race. So probably some misconceptions out there that, that's how my racing career got started. It's not. With respect to that, my first racing ride was in a quarter midget. And uh, here's how the deal came apart, it, or came together, I should say. It was really simple. My dad had a friend, and his he had built a quarter midget race car for his son together. His son outgrew it, and the car was just sitting in the corner, and he didn't want to sell it because it was he'd done it with his son. And my dad convinced him to let me race it a few times. And for him to take me to the racetrack, because my dad was busy, couldn't mm-hmm. take me to the racetrack. And uh, they exchanged some kind of part or service. That was the deal. Wow. And uh, I raced the first two years that way. A business-to-business relationship. Yeah, it, it was the original career. B2B, right? Because <laughs> my dad didn't have... Any, right, sure. Yeah, it's just the way it was. So yeah. I think that the gentleman, his name was Eddie Johnson. He. You know, what's interesting is he only uh, lived like probably three years after that, and he died of cancer. It was awful, right? But he, uh, I'm sure he, he had his own race car on the side, and my dad just traded him some race car parts for his race cars. Okay, t- go take my son, quarter midget racing in the middle of the week for a year or two, and that was it. 
Yeah. That, that, that was how it started. My first late model, like I had to pay for it. Like that's my dad helped me like, all right, here, I'll get you the chassis. You have to hang the body, pay for the sheet metal. I mean, like that was, that was the, you have to pay your tire bill and I'll let you borrow. Here's a guy you can borrow a trailer from. And that was it. <laughs> and I showed up to the track as an 18 year old kid, no idea what I was doing but just reading everything I could to try to study and be, be prepared. I had like no help. <laughs> like one person would come. We would like a family friend would come and he'd just like drive the hauler. Cause I didn't know how to drive yeah. doing a trailer. I mean, I, I kind of knew, but not enough to like, <laughs> Hey, go a couple hundred miles down the road. Yeah. You know, there's a big difference between kind of knowing and going a couple hundred miles down the road. And we showed up at a racetrack and I'll, I'll never forget this. I showed up this one racetrack in um, Flint, Michigan, it was me and this one other guy. I barely knew him. He was a friend of my dad's. And it was just us two. We were racing this late model feature in Michigan. It's a small track called Auto City. I qualified like second. And late models up there are a lot different than late models in other areas because they, they do inverts. Uh-huh. So they always invert the field. So I qualified like second or something like that. And I had to start eighth. And I drove up to the front and won the race. It was like a field of 20, 25 cars. And they were feeling so pumped to be... I was 17. It was 2001. I remember feeling so pumped to have won that race because it was just me and one other guy, you know, and it was a car that like I bought the tires on with my own money from having a job. Like what was the, uh, was the job just working for the family team? Yeah, it was. So (laughs) that particular job, I would do the tires and they treated me like I wasn't any employee. Like like your dad's truck races, auto races. Okay. I, I made a decent you know, salary. I think I made like 20 grand to work a, a whole year, which was, was decent for someone who's just trying to figure things out. We raced the night before in uh, Indianapolis and, uh, we got back like two in the morning. I had my car loaded up, ready to go. Went to the racetrack and won. It was just one of those, those fun stories that sticks with you forever. Right. I remember that just, that felt to me like winning a cup race does yeah, now. I yeah, it's, it's funny to think of it that way. Like just, when you're young and just getting started, winning a late model race feels like winning a cup race. Sure. does when you're older. Yeah. We had um, your older brother, Brian, on this podcast last year, Brad, and he told a story about you and Tony Stewart at, was it Berlin? Yeah. Maybe? Okay. Yeah. Do you remember this? Yeah. Oh, I do remember this. <laughs> Where it was yeah. like, cup was at, at Michigan Speedway and yeah. smoke parachuted in and you guys had a, had yep. a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think Tony even remembers <laughs> you remember it? Oh, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> so what happened? It was I, like a qualifying? no radios, no mirrors. It was a qualifying race. I don't know why we went to this racetrack to race because I did not have anywhere near the car that should be running in this race. The the cars on the west side of the state in Michigan are a lot different than the cars on the east side because the, the tracks are smaller, they're slower. Like so, those guys like today they're using like IndyCar engines in those cars. Yeah. Where I just use like an old. Arca motor. So with respect to that, we showed up and our car was just way too big, way too heavy. I'd never been to the racetrack. It was like the worst of all time. It was a big race because when the cup drivers show up to short tracks like this, like it brings everybody out. Right. Not just the fans, but also the competitors. So instead of like a 30 car feature, there's like 50 cars there to make a 30 car feature. And so I showed up and like, I'm just hoping to qualify for the race. So I qualify, I think I qualify like 25th. I get in the qualifying race and the whole field had to run the qualifying race the qualifying race starts and i'm running like 13th it's kind of like the duels they had two of them right and i'm trying to hold on to the transfer spot 
and I knew there was a car around me, but I'm like, man, I'm just good enough. And no mirrors, no radios. Then all of a sudden, this car comes underneath me from nowhere, like way faster. <laughs> and I just barely turned down on him, and he spins and goes around. I'm like, damn, who in the hell was that guy? No idea who it was. So I get out of the car after the race. I transferred. I made like at the last spot. I was like in the transfer spot, made the feature. And uh, somebody walks up to me and says, you wrecked Tony Stewart. <laughs> like, first off, I didn't wreck him. I Like, he hit me and spun out. Right. Yeah, and, and Tony, he was hot, but he had no idea who it was. Yeah, and he, he no would idea. remember it if we asked him about it today. I, I bet he would remember because <laughs> most race car drivers remember those kind of stories. So he had to start in the back of the feature because he didn't make it because he spun out. Like, he literally didn't make the race. And they had some kind of uh, promoter's provision. Like, they're not going to let Tony Stewart not run the race, right? <laughs> yeah. This was Tony Stewart in 2003, right? Tony Stewart's a big deal now, but even in that, he was, sure. he was a bigger deal. Yeah. So they put him in the race, and he goes and runs, and uh, he, he drove through the field, got to, like, second or third, and spun out and parked it. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And did he say anything to you later nope. that night? No, never nope. approached you? <laughs> nope, never. No. I'm not even sure to this day that he knows it was me. That's hilarious. Uh, so the car out here is that that was a that was the car. That was the car. Yeah, that was the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> that Small is a great world, story. Huh? Yeah, it is. So that'll wrap up part one of our conversation with Brad Keslowski. When we taped this podcast last week on the Wednesday after Martinsville, I didn't know this conversation would go as long as it did, but Brad was extremely gracious with his time and also was extraordinarily candid and insightful with his perspectives, so I've broken this podcast into two halves. You just heard part one, which focused primarily on racing. Tomorrow, you'll hear part two, which will go in a more personal direction. You'll hear Brad's thoughts on his burgeoning second career as a TV analyst, why he believes autonomous cars aren't something that will take root in society, and why he believes it's part of a digital and social revolution that will lead to a resurgence in NASCAR, his willingness to be more outspoken on social media recently and confront controversy instead of shying away from it, and the origins of his last name. So if you liked what you heard today, I'd really encourage you to stick around to listen to part two tomorrow. Thanks much to David Hovis and Jimmy White at Team Penske for helping coordinate the sit-down with Brad. Thanks as well to the staff members at Brad Keselowski Racing who extended their hospitality. The NASCAR and NBC podcast has new episodes released each Wednesday. And that's not all you should be doing on Wednesdays. NASCAR America has Wednesdays with Dale Jr. every Wednesday at 5 p.m. on NBCSN. That's Dale Earnhardt Jr. who will be at the Big Oak table for a freewheeling discussion with his NBC Sports analyst colleagues every Wednesday. These episodes have been very well received so far. I think you'll like watching them, so check out Wednesdays with Dale Jr. every Wednesday at 5 p.m. on NBCSN's NASCAR America. And if you'd like to compete against Dale Jr. and other analysts in the NASCAR NBC Fantasy League, head on over to NASCAR.com Fantasy Live and search for the NBC Sports NASCAR America League. As always, if you like what you're hearing on the NASCAR NBC podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you download and listen to us. Thanks so much to those of you who have done ratings and reviews. Those really help us out. If you prefer, you can just tell your friends that you like what you're hearing and encourage them to subscribe as well. The NASCAR NBC podcast also is available on Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, pretty much wherever you download podcasts. And if you have any feedback, please send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast.
life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.